Welcome to Take Flight Podcast with Daniel Johnson, Olu Okanola, Pabilo Timbo, and Shiwal Ahmed as your host. Take Flight Podcast is released weekly, giving you behind-the-scene business views into multiple industries, as well as highlighting backstories of entrepreneurs, leaders in their respective spaces. We will also break down business models, examining the latest trends in businesses, and sharing our learnings along the way. Take Flight Podcast is a university business class package for a diverse and inclusive audience. We blend this together for a unique and exciting look into the world of business. Join us, your hosts, who come from underrepresented backgrounds in the UK, have since worked and traveled to over 100 countries, learned our crafts, in some of the largest companies in the globe. Started our own companies as well as invested across multiple asset classes as we give our unique and inclusive perspective with a mission to help our potential flyers get ready to take flight. Since it started in 2019, Take Flight Podcast has grown to have listeners in over 50 countries. It is in the top 5% of podcasts globally and continues to grow and expand. Come and join a growing community available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. Take care and take flight. Welcome back to Take Flight Podcast, your favorite quartet, myself, Shawal, Pabilo, and Olu. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about another business which you're all very familiar with, and that is none other than Netflix. We're going to talk today about their business, what's gone wrong, why it's gone wrong, and what we think they could do to turn it around on its head. So stay tuned, stay strapped, and welcome to Take Flight Podcast. Take off, take flight with you, for we never fly away. So before we get into this week's topic, which is going to be around Netflix, I just thought we'll see how everyone is doing. So, P, how are you? I'm good. I'm well. Um, what's been happening? No, pretty good. I think uh, now a week since Ramadan. So the focus is really to get back into uh, peak routine. And so it's just basically, you know, from, from the moment I wake up to the moment I sleep, just trying to perfect uh, my time. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm well. Family's good. Yeah, no complaints. No complaints. Just got to keep going. Olu, you're looking really chilled. How's it going, CFO? <laughs> exactly, I'm, exactly. I'm... <laughs> are we going to we gonna do a round of applause? Well, let's, yeah, we'll let's, 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 that Olu hasn't tooted his own trumpet, but we've celebrated him for his most recent recognition in the professional arena. He's been now promoted, elevated, and leading a division. He is now CFO, Chief Financial Officer, Olu Okonola. Round of applause, guys. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you, thank you. Uh, no, um, it's been a big week. So I started, officially started a role um, on Monday, or for the listeners, the previous Monday, from when this episode comes out, um, really excited. Um, this has been a long time. I think I remember when I started my career, and I used to say, "Oh, I would, I would want to be a CFO." I would, if I'm honest, during that journey, I did <laughs> maybe consider not becoming a CFO or not wanting to, but sort of the last few years when that opportunity started to open up in terms of what do you want to do next? Where is the next progression development, um, an area that you could add value to the business? Um, that CFO role came up and yeah, apply for it. Um, it also shows the power of building great network. Like you never know who's watching you and who's watching mm -hmm. your current, like what you're doing in your current role. So like the GM of that site and the new VP, were like Olu would be a great candidate. So I'll do a take takeaway episode, sort of breaking down sort of how this came about. Because I think for some of our listeners, right, it was only 
I would say a few months, maybe a year or so, where I was almost made redundant. <laughs> so it's like going from potentially being redundant to becoming a CFO is a drastic change. And it shows the power of just really investing in yourself and believing in yourself, right? And not settling for a particular role and wanting some form of change. Um, and right now I'm just learning as much as possible, leveraging my network. I think I've got a great group of people, the guys on this podcast and some other people, family members and friends who have given some great advice. I think one great advice that I've received um, is actually from one of the guys on the podcast. I won't, I won't mention any names, but was just around like a 90 day um, policy or framework to go into this role where you just focus on like the people, the processes and the product. And that's been very helpful in day one, um, just getting in and understanding the people, letting the team understand my style. But yeah, I'm extremely excited. I'll break it down in one of the takeaway episodes, but thank you guys. And thanks for your support over the years. Pleasure. Pleasure, Oli. I was about to cut you off there because I was about to yeah. say, about to say that that's a take flight takeaway there, man. You need to, you need yeah. to, <laughs> I, was about to I was about to do an episode. I think mean, you would have thought the guy won a BAFTA, a BAFTA award. If it was a BAFTA, I would have started with you had it prepped. You had it prepped. And then, no, you had it prepped. <laughs> he's going to ask to get that cut out and say, yeah, that's my takeaway episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. How, how's things? No, yeah, um, I, was, I, was, yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to. Um, Olu then. Olu, I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm very proud of you, bro. I think from 2019, from when we started this podcast to everything else has happened between now and and then. And I think what you just said, that's a great title for a takeaways episode from redundancy to chief financial officer. It's been a, it's been a solid journey, but congrats. And yeah, super proud. Um, in, in terms of on, on my side, all, all good. As, as P said, similar post Ramadan, it's been a week now. So trying to get back into the flow of things i'm still in the uk but i'll be heading back to copenhagen this uh weekend just catching up with family friends i went to a really cool networking event um last week now uh, and that was really good as well just to be out in the space connecting with old friends and and making making new friends and some potential podcast guests for us later in the in the year but otherwise all all good and yeah just getting back into the the swing of things if daniel follows shawal they would have seen the swag in terms of the, it felt like it was a photo shoot <laughs> that, that that meetup that you had. That suit was looking on point, crisp. That's I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Oli. I'm liking this vibe today. <laughs> <laughs> but Daniel, Mister Mister Johnson, how are you doing? I'm not gonna lie, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I am tired. Um, yeah, just on the on a personal front, just trying to still adapt to this these these um restless nights or interrupted nights at some at some stages are are tiring can be can be felt at times but I think once I start the day it's fine but initially in the morning it's a bit of a, a slug sluggish sluggish morning but apart from that all good um enjoying life living life working hard um family's good so yeah that's the most important thing that family are good and healthy but just with that, for the listeners, in case you haven't had the chance to listen to it, I highly recommend listening to Daniel's Take Flight Takeaways, where he talks about the first 90 days of fatherhood and working at one of the hottest uh, companies in the world right now and how's, how he's been able to to balance. And on top of that, some bonus travel tips as well, if anyone has just recently become a, a father. So I highly recommend checking out that episode. Great. So I think with doing all the the formalities, the seeing how everyone's doing. We're going to get right into the episode. Get tucked in. So, Netflix. Everyone's probably heard of the name Netflix. Most of us, I'm sure, are users of Netflix or, or someone else's account. Um, but let's. I want to take a step back to think about the initial business model and how it's evolved and to sort some of you know what's going on at the moment. So just for some context, software engineers... Two of them, Reed Hastings and Mark Rudolph, founded Netflix in 1997. That is quite a long time ago, but many of us probably think it was in the in the noughties, but it was actually not. It was you know 25 years ago. It was a video rental stores. As the video rental stores dominated the home entertainment market, Hastings was frustrated in that the market was not customer friendly with charging the customers high fees for, rent, for late returns. And they saw an opportunity to do rentals differently, and Netflix began renting out DVDs by mail. And in 1998, which was a game changer for them, the video renting market 
was a huge gamble. There, VHS dominated the market and only 2% of the American households owned a DVD player. And at that time, Reed and Rudolph knew it was time for them to enter the market by hoping the market would reach 20% of households. It went from a renting business model to subscription. And I say that because the first model was to let people rent videos by selecting them online and having it delivered to their door. This service was actually unparalleled at the time and it was a big shift in industry. A year later, Netflix introduced a subscription model where customers could rent DVDs online for a fixed fee per month. And later, as we know, they implemented artificial intelligence, AI technology to not only give you more content, but to recommend content to you. And I must say that in the early noughties, before the subscription model, I remember someone actually received uh, something, a Netflix DVD in the post. And I was like, really, really surprised. Like, what is this? Like, why are you receiving a DVD in the post? I was very much accustomed to Blockbuster where you'd go, you'd select something, whether it be a game on your Xbox or PlayStation or a VHS or DVD, as it then um, later became. And I was like really wowed by this and thought, how did they actually entrust their customers to return a DVD? For me, it was quite bizarre to know that I can order a DVD online and they've entrusted me to return it, not make a copy of it and not to keep it. So it was really, really fascinating to me. But um, that's kind of how the business started. We all know that Blockbuster at the time was dominating the market. They're on everyone's high street. We all probably had a Blockbuster card. We'll go with our parents to try and get maybe a rated a rated 15 movie when we were 13 or 14. And who knows who was trying to get an 18 at a young age. But yeah, that weren't me. Um, but that said, I think, you know, in the last couple of months, so in the last month, let's say, it's almost as though Netflix has had a similar story to Peloton, where the pandemic was really, really good for them as a company. Revenues were sky high. And it was almost like it was too good to be true. But now, behold now, it's taken a tumble. Uh, we'll go into the numbers in terms of what that means, how that's played out. But I thought we'll just open up to say, firstly, is everyone here a customer of Netflix? Oh, yes. Wait, do you, do you, have, your own, do you have your own no, that's account? Just say, or... That's just to say, just to say yes. No, so I've, yes, no, I've got my own account, um, but my account is also shared with someone else. Okay. And how about you, I'm, I'm part of the 100 million that is uh, account sharing. <laughs> Yeah, my one, my one is we have a family plan, so we have four accounts with one uh, subscription. Okay, wait, 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 backtrack, backtrack. P, you said it's your account that you're sharing, or someone else's account that's sharing with you. No, it's my account, but it's been also okay. used by someone else. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, I share multiple accounts. I've never purchased. Uh, <laughs> I've never purchased. <laughs> <laughs> I I purchased I uh yeah I've used multiple. Let me tell you a funny story. Just to get this straight, just yeah. just to get this straight, the chief financial officer here is actually sharing <laughs> passwords and accounts. How do you how do you how do you think I stay financially <laughs> financially stable? <laughs> it's not by paying for Netflix. You know what's so funny? Uh, a friend of mine would I'm not gonna expose the person, but she was telling me how she was using the Netflix of her ex-partner. And she had been using it for like years after they broke up. And then finally one day it just cancelled and disconnected. And she was like, oh, I feel like reaching out to him and just seeing if everything is okay. Like, is he struggling? <laughs> is that the reason why he cancelled his Netflix account? <laughs> but it's so crazy the amount of people that are sharing, sharing accounts. You want to know what's interesting? Because obviously this is this is a topic that we're going to discuss in terms of one of the factors. But it's it's got to a point where people are accustomed to sharing accounts to the point where when that account eventually disappears, like what you just said, mm. you actually feel like something's been taken from you, as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed as opposed to realizing it was never mine in the first place. Like we had um, we were we were using a Disney Plus account, right? So Karim is lapping up, you know, he's watching these stuff, <laughs> and then he gets closed. I'm I'm getting I'm getting vexed because I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> who do I call? Who do I switch? So it's it's uh, it talks a little you can't call you can't call Disney well. helpline. No. But Daniel, you, you were Daniel, you were you were subscriber of Netflix. No, no, um, I'm not a subscriber. I'm a user. Mm. As in, um, uh, uh, an account was shared with me, um, and a profile was created for me, and uh, I just tap into that. <laughs> But in all honesty, I'm not even. I don't even 
watch Netflix that much. I've got I got access to it via my cousin, but I don't really. I'm not a heavy user. I'm not a heavy user at all. I yeah, hope, I just thought. I hope I, Daniel and I, what we said on this podcast, is not used against us because Netflix is now struggling. So I don't want the police knocking on our door saying, "Hey, you guys but, owe us some money." Well, well I I didn't put the password in. It was put in for me. But so okay. mine, mine's a different story, Oli. Um, but <laughs> on that note, I think we'll kind of start off with kind of their performance because I think that's what's top of mind for a lot of people at the moment. Um, in terms of their revenue earnings for Q1, and there was a there was a day where fifty billion dollars was wiped off of their market value. Um, so just to give a bit of context, so Netflix Netflix's revenue for the quarter ending March thirty first was seven point eight seven billion, which was actually a nine point eight three percent increase year over year, but actually fell short of analyst expectations, which was anticipated to be seven point nine three billion. And Netflix's revenue for the 12-month period ending from March 31st, 2022, was $30.4 billion, a 15.2% increase year over year. However, the net income during the quarter for, of this year fell 6.4% to $1.6 billion, down from $1.7 billion the year prior. The item, the company earned $3.53 per share, which is well above the $2.89 dollars per share analysts had expected according to a definitive survey despite kind of a better quarter year on year why do you guys think netflix has had sort of a bad press around of course they mentioned or anticipated two million users lost in the next quarter but you would you would you would argue that where you've where you haven't had a loss year on year for um, net revenue why do we think there's been bad press around it? That's what I was really intrigued because you ultimately think 50 billion wiped off. There must have been something that's happened. It wasn't like the case of Peloton where demand and, you know, warehouse and storage costs, and et cetera. But you know, I thought I'd open up to start with, you know, why do we think there's been negative connotations with um, Netflix's performance? Um, I don't mind starting off. Um, I See, it's, it's tough, right? Um, because there's a lot of fear in the market, rightly so, uh, just in regards to interest rates. Um, I think we're seeing the Fed's uh, Fed mention that they're planning to increase interest rates. And companies which are heavily debt-reliant, and I believe Netflix has got probably around 15 billion or so, are... People are looking at, okay, how is this going to look like in the future with this long-term debt? They're not able to pay it back through their cash flow. So they're going to rely on these um, um, long-term debt. If they have to renegotiate new interest rates, what is that going to look for the business and the profitability? So I think that's one of the elements. The second element is really around, I think what you mentioned around the outlook for subscription. Now, in Q1, it wasn't such a big impact. I think it was 200K subscription decline. But this was also based on um, sort of everything going on with Ukraine and Russia. So they've also cancelled or frozen accounts in Russia, which have been taken into consideration in that decline. But what is more worrying is more the outlook, where they say, hey, we're going to potentially have 2 million subscriptions um, drop now whenever you're investing in these high high risk i would say high growth companies the moment growth stops people now start to focus on the fundamentals of the business the financials the cash flow what does the debt look like what is are there profitable businesses and i think this is where a lot of people are not willing to pay a large multiple for Netflix. So it's a tough one, right? Because would they have seen such a large decline if their subscription outlook was still quite positive? Probably not. But also I say, are people, are the customers voting on the quality of the company? Because now when Netflix first came out, 
it was the hot company, there wasn't that many competitors. Now that that whole landscape has completely changed, they're now facing competition from Disney, Hulu, so many different companies, which HBO, who have great content, and I can even argue, argue better real estate when it comes to content. And Netflix is having to create a lot of new content, which they're spending billions on. And a lot of times they're not really hitting the ballpark. I can't think of, I think the last sort of viral series or whatever that came on was um, Squid Squid Game. Game. That was probably the last big thing. And I can't, I feel like that's been over a year ago that that came out, right? September. September. So I think the way content is going to work in my mind, and we'll talk about that in the future is, a lot of subscribers are going to be hopping around in terms of what they're using. So they might use it for a month, two months while there's a series there, binge watch it, and then cancel that and move to another space. Uh, But my last point also why I think um, there's a fair element of sort of Netflix and other similar companies is we're seeing a large inflation play, which the cost of living for a lot of the customers are going up. So now customers have to look at what is my outgoing? If I'm seeing energy bills going up, okay, I need energy. Obviously, I can be smart in terms of my utilization there. Water, that's going up. I need it. Do I truly need Netflix? If it's $20 a month, can I save that by canceling that or canceling a lot of my subscriptions? That could also potentially be the reason. Um to it as well but i'll pass on to the other guys not according not according to p from his latest um instagram story about oh yeah i saw subscription models or not (laughs) yeah but that's more from a wealth creation standpoint um now just to echo on some of the points that um olu's mentioned i think with netflix although you rightly saw one of the first in the market so they actually captured a lot of market share earlier on in their career and i think daniel to your question is the first time investors have actually have doubts about what you said all of the long-term growth for the last 10 years they've always they're accustomed to growing just their subscription-based model so one of the one i'll give just two reasons that i i sort of noticed us one of the, one of the things um which is a bit bleak is the on saturation of subscriptions on key markets so they're finding it difficult to grow that customer base in some of the like the us like europe um, which in itself are the larger markets. And I think the second thing that they've noticed, when you talk about competition, Olu's listed a number of them, the price point for Amazon, which for, for Netflix, sorry, is a lot higher than some of the competitors. And when they had pushed, the, I think they had pushed the price up, um, I think from £10 to £11, doesn't seem like much, but that lot, that resulted in the loss of subscribers. And I think the number's around 600,000. So... It's, it's the first time investors, and we can talk a little bit about some of the investors that have pulled out, are actually questioning, you know, you know, what is the future? What does it look like for Netflix, um, um, given some of those points? But sure, I'll just share. P, that yeah. second point that you mentioned in regards to the price point, I think that's really interesting and concerning at the same time, because especially when you think about these sort of software companies, the luxuries of these software companies is that you can scale up, Right but not have so much overhead costs. So it's like, if you have a software like Disney, they already own quite a lot of content that have already been produced by you making it online. You just need more service to store the the users and whatever, et cetera. But your fixed cost doesn't really go up that high. But because Netflix is in, just started to, in that creating content game, like a lot of the contracts that they had with other um uh, media houses where they were borrowing and borrowing a lot of their content and putting it on Netflix have canceled and stopped. And now they're having to push out so much content and it's not cheap. So is they having to say, okay, where do we make this money from? So let's continue increasing the price. So that's a good and, point. And that, that, that's quite worrying. The fact that, you know, the point Oli alluded to about creating content and it's not cheap because in 2021, Netflix announced they would release a new movie every week at the same time. They had more than 200 million paid members with mm. 37 million people signing onto its services in 2020. And produce, to produce a, 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 a film every single week on a platform, it's going to take a lot of money. It's not cheap because these were high profile, uh, you know, actors. And I think we even mentioned in, you know, our chats offline about, I think it was um, the film with 
begins with E. It was filmed in India. Um, it's it's um, Extraction. That Extraction, yeah. We'll talk about that and how that was in a Netflix original uh, mm -hmm. and other films of that nature as well. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, I thought I'd just point out that trying to create or release a new film every week is demanding, is a lot. And it was at a time where there was a lot of growth. So they're thinking, we've had a lot of growth. We want to almost create sticking a star platform and give new content to attract even more new users to grow even more. But sure, sorry, I kind of stole your thunder. No, I think um, it's, a, it's a great discussion. I was listening uh, to, to great points and thinking, where can I really add anything else? I think um, in terms of the financial component, we've spoken about the inflation and, and everything. I mean, you can always think that when you see a company that drops 40 to 50% of its market cap in such a short, significant amount of time, people always focus on where it is now. But then I think it's also a reflection on maybe the valuation before being just astronomically high which i think olu touched upon i think the only additional comments i wanted to add was just around the competition in in particular and i know you've mentioned it's a lot more competitive now but if we look at some of the the competitors out there so netflix at the moment has got just over 200 million subscribers in 190 countries which is impressive and they've started in 2007 so that's almost 15 years now disney plus just as a as a comparison started only three years back just over three years ago and is already at 130 million subscribers and they've done that in three years. Netflix, it took them 15 years to get 222 million. So you add that competition. And if you think about the com competition, so Disney, for example, they've got years of IP that they can reuse over and over again. And for a company like Netflix to pay the royalties, that's one of their highest cost items as well. And I think this is where you've seen them shifting into their own content, which is cheaper for them. But then the quality is something that's probably lacking, especially in recent years where they've not had as many hits. And again, if you just think about the competition, Amazon with Amazon Prime, this is a business that has AWS. It has their e-commerce business. They have almost cash machines that are generating cash in other parts that can fund the, the content. And if you even think about Apple as well, again, they've got such a strong business, the AirPod business alone, it's a multi-billion dollar business. And this can generate all the, the money you need to fund the, the content. So not only are you against competitors with very deep pockets, I think the other element is you're against competitors that are offering a product for free. So if you think about YouTube, TikTok, these are also video platforms and these are user generated platforms that again have zero cost for users to, to subscribe. They give you an ad um, option, et cetera. And this again is eating up screen time and people's attention. So all of this competition, I think as well, is really, really stiff and it puts Netflix in a very tight hold because they don't really have any other elements of their business that generate as much cash as some of these other competitors we mentioned. But uh, great, great points there, sure. And on that note, but I think we also discount how successful Netflix have been because mm. they've been tremendous because they were pioneers. They were first movers into the space. This is their first loss in subscribers since October 2011. So mm. it's been over 10 years. And when you think about how much they've grown and how much they revenue they generate, especially being ad-free, that's absolutely ridiculous because we're forgetting that they don't have any ads on the platform, on the screen, or in between shows or anything of that nature. So I think we can get on to how they can possibly turn this around, et cetera, you know, later on, possibly mm -hmm. with like a cheaper option with ads in there, whatever it may be. But um, P was mentioning about investors and how it's more of, I think, sorry, or, sorry was it P or Olu? About investors. Yeah, P, P. Okay, P, about investors and, you know, their... I'd say their lack of trust or their lack of vision that the company has for the future, because one of the well, one of the best, you know, in terms of what he does, Bill Ackman, mm -hmm. his um, his company Square Capital, I believe it's Square Point. I told you I'm tired, guys, so please bear with me. That <laughs> um, he he um, a couple of months ago, their company bought what. 1.1 billion dollars of shares in netflix we made an investment of 1.1 billion in netflix and in april they sold and made a loss of 400 million and okay yeah 1.1 billion is a lot 400 million is is kind of minuscule but it's still a lot of money and that was because he just didn't really believe in the direction that netflix are traveling in and for someone who's only been in holding a position for only a couple of months that's quite worrying and I think Very. that sends shockwaves into, into the market about the lack of trust, the lack of maybe vision, direction that, that they have at Netflix. And I just wanted to, to point that out and say, where do we feel that investments or people selling 
has an impact on the company or the view of the company perception? It, de- it depends who, right? If I mean, UI, if, 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 if Oli Walker was going to start selling shares of any company, man, I'm, I'm calling my agent ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> if, it's, if it's some of our small, small, small investors, it's not going to move the needle. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people do copy big investors. Now, I used to read this. Um, I read this really interesting way of looking at buying and selling stocks. You can always tell why someone buys a stock. You can never really tell why someone sells a stock, which I found quite interesting. So the people say everyone buys any asset, right, for one reason, right? You typically buy it to make profit. That is an easy, you buy stocks because you're expecting to make profit. In regards to selling, selling doesn't always mean that you're selling it because you don't obviously believe in it. You can sell it for tax reasons. You want to write off some losses because you want to have some tax gain. You could sell it because um, one, you don't truly believe in the future or you could sell it just because you feel like, yes, this might still do well, but I want to invest in something else. Or you could sell it just because you need the cash right now, right? I had to pay taxes one time. So the few stocks doesn't mean that I don't believe in those companies. Hey, I had to pay some taxes <laughs> from this money. So there's multiple reasons now, but I think when there's big wells in the market, like the Warren Buffett's, et cetera, Typically, when people see a sharp and decline or massive sell, it does translate to lack of confidence in the future vision of a company when it's such a large amount. Now, personally, myself, right, do you, is would I still invest in... Thankfully, I don't own any Netflix. I sold my Netflix a few years ago. Nice, nice profit. But um, <laughs> I don't own any. I don't own any at the moment. Uh, will I get back into it? Me personally, no. Just because I don't believe that they have a cash flow generating element of the business. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure why. But the rest of the guys, what do you think? P, you want to go because you mentioned it initially. No, actually, the only the only point I have actually, and it it um. You know, with a lot of what we are analysing today, actually, is, is is quite similar in sense of we're looking at companies prior to the pandemic and kind of looking at how they how they are positioned now. The thing, the question I have around Bill situation is, what was he looking at before when he was looking to buy? Because he's only held this, he's only held the stock for a couple of months. So I think it just brings into question how you value companies at different times within the market. Um, but yeah, I, I I found that quite surprising. Um, and I'm not sure if it sends shockwaves for other investors, but he's only held it for a couple of months. So I thought that was a bit strange, if you like, from from my perspective. Just just to build on that as well, Pete. So I think to add some color to what Daniel was explaining about Bill Ackman. So this is a guy who has been notorious in terms of making activist investments. So betting against mm. a company to not do well. And I think with this Netflix one, when he made that investment, he did a whole press release and a media run basically saying that he wants to switch tactics and become more of a friendly investor and invest in companies that he believes for the long term will generate a good return and their products that he believes in. And I think that also amplifies that him suddenly pulling out after a few months, after announcing that he's going into this as a long-term play, is um, is interesting and probably sent a worrying signal to the market. The other thing that I think was interesting, and this is probably another episode, is a, a man of Bill Ackman's um, pedigree in terms of his investing track record. For him to make a billion-dollar bet and then take his chips off the table for a $400, $400 million loss... There might be other people who are investing in their own spaces and maybe they're looking at a loss, but their ego is telling them or their pride is telling them that this is going to turn around. I can't mm. take a loss. I'm going, to, I'm going to ride it to the bottom. But this is someone who does this as a professional track record, is willing to have people look at it or talk about it in a certain way, but is still willing to take that decision because, uh, again, in the long run, he, he probably has a, a better hypothesis of the stock now. So I think in that sense, there's some, some personal lessons there in terms of how we invest and how we also uh, adjust our decision making as well. And sure, I love that that point, right? That taught me a lot to know, okay, when is it time to walk away? And walking away doesn't mean you walk away and now you pull it in cash and just keep it in cash. It's, no, I believe I can invest that somewhere else. 
where it could recover or generate more of a profit versus me waiting for it to recover. Mm. So I believe when you do have new information that the outlook of a company is changing, the vision is completely changing and you don't agree with it, then you need to say to yourself, okay, let me vote with my capital. Is it time for me to remove that off the table and put it somewhere else? Yeah, it makes sense. But that was a lesson learned for me from Mm. that. So in terms of like, uh, we've seen what's gone wrong for Netflix. We've seen that they've increased their prices for subscribers. We've seen that, you know, they've had to pull out of Russia due to the, the ongoing conflict. We've also seen Bill Ackman's um, position um, being removed from Netflix itself. And of course, the $50 billion wiped off the market value. What do you think Netflix can do to change? What do you think they can do to maybe appeal to a new market of customers, given that there is highly competitive space with Disney Plus, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and all the others that offer more than just, say, series, um, uh, original series as well, but live TV, live sport, and other things of that nature. What do we think, or what do you think they could do to kind of turn this around? So I'll take one point and then and then give the rest... Um, others to to the guys um so they've got to figure out the pricing strategy um for the last the entire um lifespan they've always prided themselves on just sort of having that one price um to basically have access to the content and when we look at basically saturation in key markets if you want to start penetrating more emerging markets asia and places like that you've got to look at different i think it's like tier pricing so perhaps you may do if it's 10, if it's 11 pounds today, you might say, okay, four pounds to get access to a number of different categories to a certain pieces of content. If you want more, you have to pay um, um, an extra two, three pounds. And that type of pricing strategy will or should increase and widen um, the subscription base. So I think, I think pricing, a pricing strategy is, is one of the things that they have to sort of relook at um, and move away from just the one price to multiple. Um, sure. I think on 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 my end, so t- taking price out of it, I think where they could have opportunities is actually building on the success that they've had and where they own the IP, because from that you can generate potential additional revenue streams. I think the 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 recommended or recommended to watch on Netflix is probably one of the best um, AI tools that we've seen on any any product. And I think if you leverage that AI and apply it to maybe another type of product, building on your preferences. So, for example, if I'm a big fan of House of Cards. While I'm watching House of Cards and they they know that I've just finished a series on that, why not send me links to products that I can buy around House of Cards? Or if they own um, the IP of Stranger Things, for example, which has got a lot of themes um, that children appreciate, what Disney does is if children want to experience that in real life, you can go to the parks, you can have that experience. Now, why does Netflix not look at the idea of opening up a park to test? Um, I know we're going into an inflationary environment where maybe the cost of living, et cetera, is increasing. But this could be an additional revenue stream building on what they're already doing and uh, what they've built a lot of success in. And I think companies like Disney, et cetera, have done that really well. I think the one other thing is regarding the content type. I think they've done great with what they've done. Um, it's almost like a, a guy who entered the party first. He was the guy because he was uh, he had all the, all the latest uh, clothing. He seemed really cool. But then after that, him opening the doors opened up people to like Disney, et cetera, who've got much cooler content of uh, clothing or everything else. And they're now the cool guy that everyone wants to hang out with. And now Netflix looks a bit old. So I think they need to make a bold move on their model, whether that's parks, merchandise. The other thing is maybe sports. I think Amazon Prime has invested in sports. Netflix, if they were to pump in a few billion to get Premier League global rights, would that not increase the number of subscribers as well? But I think they need to try something different that their competitors aren't doing and something like that could could work. I, I, Go on. I was just going to jump on one point just to, just to basically, one of the red line that runs through what Shua has mentioned, and I'll give it to yourself, Olu. They've got to spend more than the competition. So currently today, I think they're spending around 17 to 18 billion for customer acquisition and marketing and things of, of that nature. The competitors are spending upwards of 20 billion. Uh, so 20, 30 billion I think they're going to really have to look at something drastic and going from 18 billion to maybe 40, 50, and even upwards. So that's a that's like a basic one-on-one. We need to acquire more customers. We need to spend more than we've been spending. Yeah. Olu. So, yeah, so I, I, I was listening to both of your points. Um, P, on the pricing element, I'm against creating 
reduced tiers of um, of um, content or pricing. Reason why I say that is, do you guys remember how much Sky used to cost our parents back in the day? <laughs> It's still ridiculous now. It's still yeah, it hasn't changed. I don't, I don't, I don't know how much it's changed. still yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, so it's like a hundred, let's just say for example, a hundred pounds sometimes it would cost a household to get all the different channels. So in terms of we're now changing to this content world where you'll get lots of different providers, some will be eight pounds, fifteen pounds, twenty pounds, whatever, etc. But it's still significantly cheaper than what content used to cost us previously and i would say that the issue that netflix is facing is less around the price i don't think it's the price factor i think it's really the quality of content that they have and people are voting based on unsubscribing and people i think they're trying to say oh sharing passwords the price going up that's the reason why people are leaving no the reason why people are leaving is because your content is not that good and it hasn't continued to be good Right. And I, I honestly feel like the big thing they need to really do is one, continue to invest in quality series like House of Cards. Like that was a game changer. Those sort of IP that they own that's quality will get people onto your show. Like if you go, no matter if it's 20 pounds a month, whatever, if it's a game changing series um, as big as House of Cards, the wire that used to be on HBO, those sort of massive series that are quality, people will pay whatever the price is to pay to be on it. Now, yeah. when they're spending on that content, now the question is, how do you fund that content? Because as inflation increases, taking on debt might not be the answer. So again, I go back to what Shawal mentioned, and is they got to figure out a way to create some sort of cash cow within their business. And I don't think they've they've made an effort in. Like I, I see with my Amazon Prime where I can scan up, I can see who is the actor on it, what movies they've been on, whatever, etc. Why can't they do that in terms of merchandising, right? You scan up and it's like, oh, this is the T-shirt that the character's wearing. This is blah, blah, blah. And you can just order it directly. And that way you've got a sort of Amazon-style sort of um, e-commerce site, which is you're able to buy merchandise from it. So they've got to figure out a way to create some sort of cash cow, which would then fund them spending a large amount on marketing and content like we discussed to ensure that there's some sort of quality content to keep. I'm not a fan of ads, like doing ads for, um, there's people that talk about doing ads on Netflix. I'm not a fan of that mm -hmm. because it's, it's going to just ruin the quality. In my mind, it's going to ruin the quality of it. And it's going to turn into, it might potentially turn into YouTube where, yes, you've got some great content on YouTube, like Take Flight Podcast. If you haven't watched us on YouTube, check it out. Uh, but you've also got some nonsense, right? There's some other podcasts, not going to mention any names, where I'm like, How, like, what's going on here? <laughs> and that's that's what happens when you've got certain ad, um, ad um, models. You can't always regulate the level of content there and the quality of it. So I'm like, Focus on the quality of the shows that you're releasing and the customers will vote by paying. So, so a couple of points. Um, and I like what's happening here because I kind of liken it to the fact that us four right now are sitting in a board boardroom meeting and we're having to decide where do we prioritize to turn this business yeah. around. So I agree with you, but I wouldn't prioritize quality content as of yet. And the reason being, because mm. I think it will take longer to do that. So... Mm. If I, today, if you give me the, the, the data, it tells me that of my, half of my subscription base are sharing accounts. So I just say to, say to the compliance team and say, look, how long would it take to turn this situation around? If we can basically crack this situation that we've never tackled before, because we've always been used to growth, how much revenue can that unlock? So that starts to change the game. And then we have a different mm -hmm. conversation with investors. Then I so think, with that um, first point, with that first point, do you think by cracking down on that, Let's say, for example, myself. Yeah. If you guys crack down and say I can't share, I'm not subscribing tomorrow. Right, but but you have to understand the size. We're talking about 100 million people. So yeah. so you will lose subscribers, but then ultimately there will be a portion of revenue that is unlocked. So okay. that's kind of and how quickly can we do that? And I think the second thing, the reason for the pricing is actually to um, 
increase your 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 base in sort of emerging markets. So your your the, the key markets you kind of already have a foothold on. Mm. But if you want to tap into other markets where they can't pay the 10, 11 pounds or whatever it may mm. be in their currency, they can get in for a little bit less. And I think mm. I'm just thinking about how quickly can we do those two points versus quality content because I think mm. that takes longer to get right. And I think the third and final thing I mentioned, you you spoke about um I really like this because I feel like we're debating now. Um, you spoke a little bit about uh, um, not necessarily liking ads and how that's necessary works. If you look at the competition, Disney are kind of taking that path. So I kind of, for Netflix right now, in their position, everything's on the table. You've got to look at all different avenues to sort of turn this around. Because in the, I don't, they've not really actually been, they're not accustomed to doing something different. We're, mm. we're like Shaw said, first guy in the party, you know, I've been here for the longest, um, I'm used mm. to growth. So that's well, just a couple points. Yeah. To... I, I, I was going to say, you know, I've completely listened to what you all said and I, I agree with a lot of it. Um, I think in terms of how they can turn this around, I think you have to focus on the customer because the customer is what's paying your bills. The customer is what's giving you your, your revenue. And Netflix's USP is not being ad-free. So they, they should certainly tap into that because your USP is not saying that you're, ad, you're an ad-free streaming service. Why not tap into that? Um, I think in terms of how they can maybe get more customers, create stickiness is potentially adopting like an Amazon Prime uh, model where you have an annual subscription, which makes it a bit cheaper. At least you can then forecast the number of users um, that will be with you for at least a year before yeah. these incremental hike in prices. Because, yeah, monthly you have a fixed you have a fixed price, but you can cancel at any time. At least if you have an annual subscription model, you're trying to target those who want to be with you for the long term. They could also explore providing some of get or gaming rights to some sort of sports or live TV content. I think Apple TV do it where you can, it's BBC iPlayers embedded into Apple TV. You also got Amazon Prime embedded into Apple TV and trying to get multiple different other third party content providers embedded within Netflix could be a win. Um, even down to the point of, doing weekly releases of original series or content that they have. I think when we, most of us watch Top Boy and even as an actor or as a producer, you're working so hard to produce such good quality content that people will now binge watch in a day. That's kind of like, it's, it's good, but it's also disheartening because for something that you've worked on so hard, and I, I saw one of those memes where I think someone went up to, was it Kano said, yeah, yeah, I watched that already. I watched it all. He goes, we worked hard for that, you know. We worked hard for that, and you watch it in eight out. You like, you watch yeah, it all in one yeah, day. Yeah. It's mm. like, and I think that that level of anticipation of looking forward to a new episode week on week is sometimes nice. It takes you back to the kind of old days where things weren't so easily accessible, easily available. You had to wait. It created suspense. It created some sort of cliffhanger rather than just saying, "I'm on to the next. I'm on to the next episode." Then you just on you that real quick, I was. I was disappointed when I noticed that all episodes were released with Topway. I was ex I was actually mapping out the next few weeks, doing yeah. a bit of takeout, Thai food. Let's get this, <laughs> you know. And it was all there. So I just and in the end, yeah. you watch it all. So yeah, yeah it's I, just a great point you mentioned. I was the same, and I felt like I had to watch it because people were sharing and spoiling things on social media mm. that you had to now go and watch it. Otherwise, you think, okay, I haven't watched it in a month. I've seen most things. What's the point now? I'm not going to bother. Um, but I think also the last point is. Netflix have to really think about who their competition is. And in the 90s, I think it was before like the launch of the MP3 and before Apple, the, the likes of Sony, they dominated the Walkman market. They dominated it completely. I think I had a Discman, I had a Walkman, I even had a mini display by Sony. Those were bad boys. And Sony were really comfortable. They were leading the competition. They were comparing themselves to like JVC, Panasonic, and the likes, they weren't comparing themselves to Apple. They saw Apple as completely in a different industry, but yet Apple were the ones that would come in and really disrupt and take the market share through the iPod. So as Netflix has probably evolved over the years, they probably haven't really thought of the likes of Amazon or even Disney or others. But you also have to think, even as I say that, that cluster of Amazon, Disney, Netflix, you have to think of those in different markets who may just come in and really disrupt and take a lot of the market share. So I think doing some SWOT analysis um, and also some competitive analysis is really key and fundamental, ensuring that the long-term outlook, long-term vision, long-term growth is successful. But I find it funny that you guys are talking about um, them cracking down on 
sharing accounts. I'm, I'm not. Like I'm not that. talking about that. No, I when, am. I am. It's interesting no, how me he, and Oli differ. Pricing. The reason why. Because it's funny because the, you know the company tweeted in 2007, "Love is sharing your password." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you guys want to tell me it's not. It's, it's, I, I'm just gonna ask the question: Where did the love go? Huh? No, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that was you capitalist. When? Two thousand, two thousand, and when? Two thousand and seventeen. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's when you're in. That's when you're in. They just started up in two thousand seven. So startup phase versus fifteen years on multi-billion-dollar business. You're in two different go, phases of the life tweets, cycle. Tweets can't be deleted. I would <laughs> even go as far as saying that they were they spent as much time at that point focusing on the number of subscriptions going up. No, but then you, you're sharing accounts. It's probably a number of users, though. Yeah. Yeah. As in addition to because sales. I think they see the and I, that's the part that I'm afraid. So sure, it sounds like you're talking about like that was the honeymoon stage, and now now, now, was, uh, now, now they... well, uh, no, I just have one question to to ask you, Olu. Um, back in 2007, were you in a relationship? 2017. 2007. When did oh, they tweet? 2000, that? 2017. Oh, 17. Okay, 2017. Yeah. Were you in a relationship? Um. You're 27. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I was 27. No, I wasn't. Where's this going? Let me do. Let me do the maths. <laughs> Make sure. No. <laughs> you weren't. Okay. No, because I was going to say. I mean, they Netflix had said that in 2017 when they were saying, like, you know, what was the message? Love is sharing a password. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying whoever you love in 2017 may be very different to who you love in 2022. It's a different world. Love changes. <laughs> hey, that is true, but it's just being careful that you don't you don't lose. <laughs> You don't lose your core customers. But I think this is good. We all gave like different perspective and different views. So this is it was a good debate. Okay. Any any final comments? No, I think um when when I was li- listening to this and also reflecting a little bit before the episode, I think if you if you if you boil it down very simply, um in, in terms of economics and you just look at demand and supply, right? Demand wise, lockdowns have now been lifted essentially, right? So people are going out more and also the cost of living has increased primarily around the globe. So if you take those factors, demand will naturally reduce. And then in terms of supply, I think what we've spoken about regarding competition, the number of players, deep-pocketed players as well, the, the supply has increased massively. So if you just combine the lower demand and high supply, essentially, I think the next round, the number of players that are in the space, it can't stay the number of players, especially as Oli mentioned, the interest rates increasing, the cost of creating the content just goes up. So I think consolidation is what the natural pathway would be. And maybe the number of players we see now is really the peak number of uh, offerings to to us as consumers. And I would assume and make a bet that in the next five years, one of these businesses that we've spoken about would have been consolidated by some of the others. Or Elon Musk comes to buy them all. (laughs) (laughs) Or Twitter loan something. Uh, Who knows? But no, thank you all for your input. Thanks. It's been a great conversation. The listeners, we hope you've enjoyed it. Another kind of case study on the business, Netflix, which we're all very well accustomed to. But as always, if you have any feedback for us, you can find us on Instagram at Take Flight Podcast. You can also watch this episode to see our interactive faces and the way we actually engage with one another, all on YouTube. So all of our episodes, free content on YouTube, ad-free, we hope. Um, uh, well, it depends on your YouTube uh, account. But you can watch them all there for free of charge. Until next week, stay safe, stay well, and God bless. Take off, take-